Great Expectations is part of the Earth 2 network of podcasts. Episode 19 Uncanny X-Men Annual Number 4 Hey everybody, this is Jerry, and that silence would have been Sean if he had been here today, but we're going to try on without Sean, and hopefully we'll get through this. Instead of having Sean today, I'm joined by one of my favorite guests, who's making his third appearance on the show, Mr. Steve Raker. Sean's not here? Sean! Sorry. Sean! I forgot to tell you, buddy, I'm sorry. (laughs) All right. That's how it's going to be. Well, welcome to the show anyway. Yay, thanks for having me back. Oh, we're glad to have you. And this will, of course, be an abbreviated edition of the show because this is a vacation edition. That's right. The next two weekends I'm going to be at conventions. I'm going to the special edition NYC this weekend uh, and Heroes Con next weekend. Both of those things will be distant memory by the time you guys hear this show. So assume I had a great time and I survived all of it. Dude, you are a player. Awesome. <laughs> I am a player. I'm going to live vicariously through you while you go on these great adventures. I I would tell the listeners to come find me at Ryan Stegman's table because I'll be assisting him this weekend in New York. But uh, it's already happened, and it was awesome. Sorry I missed you guys if I didn't see you. What him. are you, like drawing backgrounds? Yes, that is correct. <laughs> Inks and backgrounds. That's my, my main forte. Nice. Bring your T-square. And penises. I draw penises on almost everything he does. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I could cut that out. <laughs> I probably won't, though. That's, it's that kind of show. That's why we're not on Marvel Noise. <laughs> You've been on Marvel Noise, though, before. And if I can plug my show real quick. Uh, I expect you to. On Marvel Noise, you joined me for episode 204 and 208, where we went over the Guardians of the Galaxy's publishing history. We did, like, yeah, we did. the really old stuff. In the 70s, and then we did the first part of the Valentino Guardian stuff, and I'm roping you in. I'm putting the gauntlet down right now and and setting the challenge in front of you to come back on so we can finish up the Valentino stuff sometime midsummer. I cannot wait. Woohoo! Something from the 90s I actually love. And I've been on this show so much that, like, I've had the X-Men on my mind and over on Marvel Noise again uh, with episode 215 and 220, me and the guys went over the first two Marvel Masterworks of the X-Men, went back and did all of Lee Kirby's stuff when it was all half capes and uh, uh, Marvel Girl kept calling her uh, telekinesis teleportation. <laughs> well, bless you for doing the Lord's work, Steve. <laughs> We're glad you did it so we don't have to. <laughs> it's silly. <laughs> yeah yeah it is it is and someday maybe we'll have you on to this show to talk about it again because everybody's going to want to hear that twice but what i keep advocating for uh, is to come on to talk about what we're going to talk about tonight which is just one of my favorite if not my favorite singular issue not story arc of the x-men so i'm finally glad we got there Woohoo! Previously on X-Men. Just to let everybody in on it, we're talking about, and we've talked about this several times on the show about how we're bringing it back for this, but this is X-Men Annual Number 4, published in 1980. And Steve, you say this is your favorite X-Men issue of all time. Probably if I had to pick just one for a, for a single done-in-one X-Men story. 36 pages, I was 10 years old. This story rocks. And it's silly, and it's kooky, and it's 80s, and it's perfect for my 10-year-old brain that I still have to this day. (laughs) (laughs) So paint the scene for us. We want to hear um, how it is that you fell in love with this issue. This is one that 
you don't hear many people talk about. And it's had a little bit of buzz on the internet lately for reasons we'll get to later. But um why do you love this issue so much? Because of its connection to a greater literary world that we'll get into that led me to discover some other kinds of things. And because it's a straightforward um, X-Men adventure in the style of a Conan the Barbarian or, you know, something in outer space where you've got an unknown uh, landscape environment full of all kinds of potential odd threats that are unusual and you've got your characters that have to get from point a from point to point b whether it's judge dread getting from mega city one to mega city two or whatever you know it, it we've had that scenario played over and over again and this is just done nice and clean and that early 80s storytelling and you know how it is with the golden age when you were 10 and reading comics and uh, my buddies and i this was one to pass around and i can when I reread this, I can feel the sun shining on me of like sitting in a square of sun where the sun's shining on the floor and uh, sitting with my buddies and passing this kind of <laughs> issue around and reading it. My spine is very cracked. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Steve, I love it. I love your Bronze Age chops. <laughs> That's why you're the best. So let's get into you it. You get me. Let's get into it. So this issue was written by Chris Claremont, like all these others were. Uh, and we have a new art team on the annual, as we do for most of the annuals. This is um, listed, the artists are listed as John Romita Jr. and Bob McLeod. Yeah, preach. I love Bob McLeod. Me too, buddy. Super nice guy too, and I really love his contributions to the X-Universe uh, on his fill-in issues, and then later with the New Mutants. But first, here. That's right. This is the first time he shows up. And I, I yeah, the New Mutants I gotta mention, those those that uh New Mutants graphic novel captured my imagination. I still love him for it, and I'm so excited that I may meet him for the first time this weekend. If it doesn't happen this weekend, it's gonna happen next weekend, and I've already arranged with him to get a cannonball sketch nice. on my New Mutants jam piece. So Living out a dream there. You're going to be really happy with what you get, too, because he's super nice and and generous with that stuff, and he's really fun to talk to. Really nice guy. Can't wait. Cannot wait. He'll let you hang out and look over his shoulder and uh, be entertained for a while just just being in his presence. (laughs) (laughs) And get his book for your kiddo, too, the superhero ABCs, even though uh, your kiddo... Oh, sure. uh, It's it's hilarious, even for older kids, because some of the uh, superhero names that he comes up with for the letters are uh, really avant-garde for a kid's book. They're fun. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the Excellent. other reason I love this um, issue is Doctor Strange, Jer. Doctor Strange, he's right on the cover, fighting with the X-Men. You think I wasn't going to pick this thing up off the news rack? Well, anyone that knows you knows you're a Doctor Strange nut. And I suspect he may have played a role in your name, but I have never asked you that. No, uh, my dad's Stephen with a PH, and my grandfather was, and so was my great-grandfather. Dope! Ugh! You could lie. Nobody's going to know the difference. But there, you don't have to be There honest. is a dad connection, though, is that when I used to have my allowance to go buy comics, I was allowed to also pick up anything that had Thor or Doctor Strange in it, and then that wouldn't be counted <laughs> towards my allowance total. And my dad would pick up oh. the tab on those. So awesome. I got a free issue of X-Men out of this. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. And a 75 center, too. Right on the first page. Immediately, you're thrown into getting a taste of what Bob McCloud does for a comic book, which is, and I've told him this in writing and to his face more than one time, he makes everything look so beautiful. The textures, the he, he's a Terry Austin in that respect. Sure. Nightcrawler's face looks smooth and fuzzy at the same time. It's great. And they do the Eisner trick of putting in the the title in that infinitely black space between his eyebrows and his hairline right yeah and what is that title nightcrawler's inferno that's right and for those who aren't familiar with bob mcleod's inking style um i am sure that you are familiar with the craven's last hunt arc of spider-man which i believe he did ink right yes and not only did he ink it but anyone who's ever seen zek's pencils from that series You'll see exactly how much work McLeod put into that. It is amazing. Zach put that on his Facebook page one day, and I just couldn't believe 
how loosely put down some of those pencils were. I mean, McLeod did almost all the lifting on some of those pages. He's really talented. The first page where we have Nightcrawler saying, what the, as he's looking at us, the reader. And, <laughs> and I'm thinking like, not insulting. Jerry, where's the mind got? Where's the wonder bar? <laughs> where's the unglablitch? What's with the what the? What did you call me? Oh, bitch. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. And, I guess he's just been hanging out in the States too long, huh? I actually have a theory about that, but I'll leave it till the very end of the issue. Excellent. But it's Nightcrawler's 21st birthday. Woo-hoo. Yay. And even now, it still surprises me that at this point, he's only 21 years young. <laughs> it's just a baby. What I love is this era of the X-Men and these artists really going out of their way to depict them, you know, right off of, I'm sure, the style sheets that they were given. Wolverine is a short runt, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I just love that. And Kurt gets his his presence. <laughs> and, and Wolverine gives him a uh, nice portrait of himself in costume. <laughs> it looks like one of your jam piece squares, Jerry. Right, yeah. <laughs> and he gets a polka dot yellow shirt with a blue tie and some binoculars and barbells. Binoculars. He gets an Indiana Jones, well, make that a Belloc hat because it's a white, a white. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> and he gets like a crystalline figure of himself that blows up, it blows his face off. Oh man, this, oh, what a cool panel. I, so he opens this thing up, and it's a statue of himself that explodes in a poof of black smoke that just encircles his head in these black tendrils that completely ink out his head. And then, like, and they drag as he falls down. It's like, they're like venom tentacles, you know? I love it's it. It's thicker than smoke. You know? Right. It's almost living. The other thing important to mention that goes, again, towards my... uh uh, looking at the whole thing uh, in hindsight when we get to the end is there's an important panel here too of Kitty Pride who's just joined the team and she's really really feeling like an outsider um really doesn't feel like she fully belongs yet you know well she hasn't really earned it at this point she just kind of showed up the nice thing to know is once the smoke clears Kurt's face is still there it's there but it, nobody's home <laughs> they <laughs> go and and run some tests on him and stuff and try to determine what's what and and unfortunately they figure out that he is no longer alive and uh, not to break the tension here but i am impressed with this med lab that they have at the mansion yeah and this this looks right at home at the baxter building all the big equipment that they've got going on here and storms picked a locker too so she can work all the equipment (laughs) well they had to get over that hurdle somehow i guess that's as good an explanation for why she can work the equipment as any as the team is all stewing and and thinking about this and then hearing the news about kurt being dead um how great are mcleod's faces i mean really great i i did chuckle a little bit though when the the news is broken to the team that nightcrawler is uh they don't say dead right they just say he's no longer alive (laughs) wolverine crunches his his beer can that he's holding and i I, it just struck me a little bit as funny. I don't know why that panel Cause it, it shouldn't. Because it looks like Popeye squeezing open his spinach can and shooting his spinach does. out. <laughs> it does look like that. I mean, normally, you know, I'd read a, a page like this and I would cry my eyes out like a little baby. Right on mic even. But uh this one struck me as funny for some reason. I don't know. Kitty is still really ancillary, as we pointed out. So when the doorbell rings, she pretty much goes unnoticed to go answer it and at the door is the shadowy Stephen strange yeah and she's still a noob she doesn't know who this dude is and it sounds like none of them do at this point until poof there's the sorcerer's garb yeah whoa yeah he showed up at the door in a trench coat and the next thing you know he's all blinged out in his robe and his eye of agamotto this part i thought was cool because strange uses the eye of agamotto to further examine Kurt's body to determine if he's, um, you know, it's been a mystical attack or whatever. And Mm -hmm. he is able to rule out him being a human-demon hybrid. Yeah, you know, I thought that was really interesting uh, because I've done a little reading for reasons that we'll explain later on Nightcrawler's origin, and I know that from based on that, that it was always intended that that's exactly what he was. 
So it was interesting. I mean, in, in Claremont's mind, that was kind of a direction he wanted to take it. Well, and and it was interesting that he spelled it out there that that absolutely was not what was happening. And and ultimately, retcon wise, when they make Azazel Nightcrawler's father and Mystique his mother, um, sure, you know that's exactly what he is. He's half human. He's half demon, right? Yep. Isn't that what a hybrid is, Jack? That is what a hybrid is. But do you know what the, reg- the original parent lineage was supposed to be? Oh, speaking man. The story is so good. Speaking of the guy who draws dicks onto Stegman's... <laughs> you know what's better than dicks on Stegman drawings? <laughs> is chicks with dicks. Drawn by Stegman. And, and that's what we almost had at least implied. The original story was that it, Destiny was supposed to be his mother, and Mystique was his father, given her shape-changing abilities. Bing. How about that? Yeah. Now, have you ever heard Claremont say that? Because the only place I had heard that from was from Byrne. And and he said that Coot Claremont, you know, this he had this crazy idea, and there's no way anybody was going for that. Um, I do know that Byrne reference, but I, I I'm not sure if it's if it's uh, I'm not sure if it was from editorial from Claremont. No, it is from Claremont. It was it, read those um uh, X Men um companions from the early '80s that Sanderson did uh, in one of those okay. in one of those issues, I believe. Um, Claremont mentions it. Uh, in it might be in the interview with Louise Jones. Uh. Uh, where he's talking about the later stuff. She might be the one who mentions it, actually. Okay. I heard another very interesting story of his original idea for the parentage. And it was who his father was supposed to be. And that, with Margali being his mother, I think, uh, and we'll get to her in a second, but originally, Claremont was hoping that his father could be somebody you'd be interested in, Steve, and that's Nightmare. Hmm. So Roger Stern was same the editor hairdo. on the book. Same hairdo, same ears. Sure, sure. <laughs> same, um, same chin. <laughs> and I think, I think originally, originally they had proposed maybe Mephisto, but that was too obvious. So, um, he said, well, what about Nightmare? And Stern, being the editor on X-Men and the writer on Doctor Strange said, no fucking way. Mm. You're not taking my character. Sorry. So Nightmare was out and they put it off. And uh, the, at this point, they're still putting it off. Right. It's been banged around left and right for decades. <laughs> yeah, sort of like Wolverine's origin. It was one of those things I think that was better explained by not being explained. But Hollywood coming into the picture kind of changed things. Because by this point, all we have of Nightcrawler before the X-Men is he was running from a mob in Germany and Professor X rescued him. That's all we got. Right. Right. So this is the first time we're getting really anything, anything more. But anyway, uh, Dr. Strange figures out, yes, this is a mystical attack. His soul has been stolen by a force of hatred, not evil. Hmm. Interesting distinction. He And he makes it several times throughout the issue. And then we get who you mentioned. It's Margali of the Winding Road appears. This green feminine face with the ram horns all twisted. And I love when she says Strange is a mage known to her. That's that Marvel Universe continuity that I just love that she did. <laughs> yeah, very cool. It was scary when she said it. You're known to me, mage. Yeah, who is this creepy woman that's got these slimy oozy green spiked tentacles coming out of her oh so creepy she uses these tentacles that uh to grab everybody in a big uh, action sequence and pull them into her uh, uh dimension and i love you know thinking again this time period 1980 this is poltergeist uh movie time you know jerry oh yeah so this is i thought a really poltergeisty scene with professor x hanging on to storm being pulled into the door and kitty's hanging on to him and he's falling out of the wheelchair and then the door closes and like it's like a gust of wind and you can just feel the silence that professor x and kitty are left when everyone's got it like went from total chaos to like complete deadly silence Claremont has never met a pop culture reference that he didn't like <laughs> when it comes to the X-Men. And I mean, I, I love it. 
And use whatever you can, man. And still with the McLeod inks on these faces, Professor X and Storm being pulled, um, Wolverine where, um, uh, uh Glennis, uh, Ween, uh, Len Ween's wife does the great, um, just all colors him in, in yellow and, and just gives him orange highlights when he pops his claws when he's attacked by the, uh, tentacles. Right. These faces. And, and on the next page, uh, Kitty goes to do a little reconnoiter to see if they're on the other side of that door or whatever. And Professor X's face, again, Ween uses the yellow to show how alarmed he is, but the, the face is just inked so nicely. He's doing the Gil Kane nose and getting the Neil Adams doodling in there. It's, re- it's beautiful, uh-huh. beautiful stuff. So you, you keep mentioning, mentioning the McCloud, uh, influence on the art, but no Ramita. Talk about that. If I can't recall ever seeing any original penciled pages to this issue, but given the time period where Ramita was in his career stepping into the X-Men book and knowing McLeod like the back of my hand as far as his, you know, lines, I feel like there's, uh, you know, I, I feel like there's a lot more McLeod here than I'm seeing Ramita, mm-hmm. you know, laying out the story, uh, you know, of course, gets its credit. I mean, I'm, I'm sure he put the figures where they're supposed to be and paced out the story and all that business that a, that a penciler should do. But I don't think it's a coincidence mm-hmm. that they didn't um, uh, clearly identify penciler and inker uh, or layout and finisher or whatever and just had them as artists together. I, I don't think that was by mistake. Right. And, uh, you know, I wanted to mention with regards to the art, um, there are some panels on here where I do see a strong burn influence on the page and i think that was probably partly to match the style of the the book in general but uh but i'm seeing it especially in the lips of the female characters on some of the panels but i think there there might be a a better explanation again that we'll get to later the other thing and i failed to mention this when we first started that this is real there's a big status status quo change for the title in hindsight with just before this issue and, and in the era of this issue, Kitty's joining the team as like the new fresh eyes. Uh, mm-hmm. Cyclops is gone. Uh, you know, they've lost their leader uh, and he'll be gone for over a year. Burn would be leaving in a, like four or five issues. He had more in them. Um, mm-hmm. this, this is the whole title is changing around this time. Yeah. Yeah. We really have this. I think this came out. Right before Days of Future Past, right, is that right? right? And then you get the Windigo yes. story, and then you get um, the Kitty Alone against the Alien story, and then that's it for Burn. Yeah, right. Yep. So there's uh, three, maybe four issues left to go at this point. Hey, another one thing that caught me when uh, Professor X is trying to you know, keep everybody from getting sucked into the abyss is he uh-huh. mentions that he tried to use his mental powers to augment his physical, <laughs> his physical strength. <laughs> I thought that was pretty yes. good. Yeah, that that harkens back to the Lee Kirby days yeah. for sure, <laughs> for sure. They, I mean, they eventually, thankfully, they just abandon all that crap. <laughs> so now, it's cute. so now we have the rest of the story is going to be Strange, Wolverine, uh, Colossus, Storm, and Nightcrawler, who is conscious in this other dimension, conveniently. And they, um, when we next see them, they're just littered uh, on the ground among these rocks and stuff and rubble in front of a big old gate that has an inscription on it. Yes, an inscription that I will assume is drawn in by my boy, Tom Orzakowski. Looks great, too. Good font. It does. (laughs) Strange (laughs) recognizes it immediately. He's like, oh, hell, you know. Literally. That's right. And because they have descended. And he cites Dante. Uh, this is Dante's Inferno, what was on the uh, gate of Dante's Inferno. Now, Jerry, I don't know if you profess to be an educated man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I keep it quiet. I don't want people to know. Uh, I right after reading this issue, I read Dante's Inferno. This made this made me go read it. For those uh, not in the know or just know in passing, Dante's Inferno is as far to my knowledge as I know, the first interliterary universe crossover that existed. It's, it's the ancestor of the league of extraordinary gentlemen for sure. It, it, sure. it assumes that all the literary universes are all in the same universe. And it was Dante's way of 
poking fun at different literary works, combining characters and teaming them up and also um, giving hell to the uh, politicians and the families uh, of power, the ruling class around him. Mm-hmm. And the thing about Inferno was it was a big mapped out journey through hell uh, with a tour guide and all of the punishments in the various areas were all really ironic, right? Like a pickpocket would have their fingers cut off, you know, things like right. that, whatever. Um, two brothers who hated each other would be, you know, entwined in an internal flame together, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> that may be my fate. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, when I saw this, I went to my dad's bookshelf and I pulled down a copy of his Inferno and it had a nice little map in it. And it fit right into my love of the Conan stuff and Lord of the Rings stuff, having the map and following the characters through the map and kind of being able to see what was coming up next or kind of a predictable path that's put in front of everybody and see how they do it Marvel style, which was a lot of... And it's really video game-ish too, right? I mean, it's like getting to a level and you have your little boss battles on each level and to (laughs) to my little Atari 2600 10-year-old brain, it, it, it all worked for me. Sure, except they'd all just be bricks <laughs> on an Atari. <laughs> or my- oh man, that brick looks way scarier than the last one. <laughs> Look, it's bigger. Still better graphics than Minecraft. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, Strange is, even though he sees the Inferno stuff, he's kind of questioning its authenticity a little bit. Um, and there should be a river around here somewhere. Right. And there is. Well, at least he's got that right. And he he mentions that he has been to hell before. And he knows what hell looks like. And this ain't it. <laughs> it's like, I've dated Clea. <laughs> <laughs> I would go to hell for Clea. He does mention her first. Me too. I miss Clea. <laughs> oh. So they get to the river Acheron and have to uh, cross it with the ferrymen. Uh, Charon comes up and uh, takes them across. Again, Jerry, I'm not. I'm going to say this twenty times. McLeod's face is awesome. His Wolverine face over Jr. Really, really yeah. good. Yeah. Overall, I really dig the art in the entire issue. There are a couple places where um, where you see kind of the the characters squished into the panel so yeah. you see their shoulders yeah and then their upper arm going off panel and then their their lower arm coming back on panel and it doesn't even come close to matching up yeah yep. <laughs> but uh overall great looking issue i think one of my favorite moments is a little side little background moment drawn in here as they're getting off the ferry and and walking uh towards what is a palace um and steps wolverine turns to caron and gives him a push off uh in his you know in his boat back off into the water even at the same oh, he time sure does. yeah even at the same time that he's like telling him good riddance it's it's a really cool angle <laughs> it's a cool panel it's a cool pose by Wolverine and it's a hell of a gesture you know how thoughtful yeah well um it it, it seems like of anybody in the group if anybody would have a close association with death and feel comfortable with death who else yeah, and it's just recognition, a little respect to Charon's role, too, you know? He's just a ferryman. Sure. He's got to get back out there. Yep. <laughs> I love it. So now they come upon Minos, who uh, sits on a throne. He's like a Loki type in a tux. Absolutely. Yeah, he he screams Mephisto to me. Yeah. What? I mean, he's got that, that uh, Busima slouch in his throne, you know? Absolutely. The devilishly handsome face. I love his greeting too. He, he says, uh, welcome in, uh, bienvenue and welcome, which are the German, French, and English welcomes. But in that order, it's also the lyrics to a famous cabaret song from Cabaret. Welcome, bienvenue, welcome. So there's a little inside joke there that the song starts, welcome in, bienvenue, welcome, in that order. <laughs> Shout out to Cabaret. (laughs) Cabaret! (laughs) And Minos, he names Nightcrawler. He seems to know what's going on here. He sidles right up to Storm, right? Yeah, and the look on her face. She's not real excited about him touching her. (laughs) She says that it's like maggots touching him, but at the same time, she's like hot for him. Yeah, 
I love it. Yeah, she's grossing herself out even thinking about it. And Kurt, in the next panel, he puts his arm around Kurt and he, he does this kind of like hunch like, like a little kid does when you're embarrassing him in front of his friends by hugging him, you know? Like, yeah. He's like, ugh, get off me. Looks like the same panel almost when, um, the Reverend is calling him out in God Loves Man Kills. And he's saying like, you know, this oh, is your yeah. mutant and he's just standing there looking as yucky as Kurt can look standing there and, and they uh-huh. do it again here, but in hell, you know, Minos calls him a fine figure of a lad, you know? <laughs> Great dialogue. <laughs> Minos tosses, uh, Nightcrawler out and Storm has to go retrieve him and has to face like some high winds and stuff. And then the harpies come. Oh man, you can't have hell without harpies. Or a bunch of naked bodies being blown through the wind at the same time. Naked and afraid. Who doesn't love that? <laughs> Yeah, these harpies are sweet with their big recurved spears. Love Nightcrawler makes it back to Minos's um throne room, but uh Storm, she gets lost to a deeper circle of hell. Uh she gets uh, a spear stab in the back that Claremont's describes as as deep. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't look happy about it. Uh so all of this is ticking Wolverine off. And here we get a great page of Wolverine moments where he uh, gets right up into Minos's face, basically, and uh, scares him even a little. Yeah, yeah, he goes uh, both fistful of claws right in his face, and uh, Minos asks if he's threatening him, little man, and he says, yup, want to make something of it? And I love that after he, after he says that, he turns back to the rest of the X-Men. Yeah. To talk to them, but he just leaves one of his hands, the claws, right in Minos's face. He's taking charge of the situation now, you know? He's become the leader, <laughs> right. all in that one panel. He's like, okay, you, screw you. You, you Doc, uh, you know, no obligation here, you want to join us? And that act has totally won uh, Doctor Strange over. Uh, he respects Wolverine and even calls him his dear Wolverine. Yeah, look at the look on Strange's face there. Yeah. He's He's got that little smile like, look at this guy. Look at the this faces guy. on this whole page. They're so yeah. well done. Ugh, I love McLeod faces. Yeah. And here again, <laughs> um, it, it's not true in every situation, but this is a situation that Wolverine was meant to be the leader of this team. You know, there are times that call for a Storm's approach. This ain't one of them. And it's a good thing that Wolverine's around. To take charge. Yeah, this is the leaderless X-Men at this point, right? Scott's gone, Professor X is gone. This is the ragtag new bunch. Well, Storm, I guess this would be the first issue after yeah. Cyclops quit, so she hasn't... She's doubting. Made, yeah, she's doubting. She has been named leader. Yep. It's mentioned earlier, yep. um, but she's full of doubt. And uh, it, it, it's just one of those situations where I'm like, man, Wolverine is kind of a good fit. But w- again, we'll see... And we've already talked about in the issues that follow. We see situations where it's a good thing that Storm is the leader because she talks him off the cliff a few times. They've got to go further into hell now to get Storm. Um, they got to find her. And that's the only way out of hell anyway. you got to send all the way to the bottom to get out the other side. Um, it's kind of a, uh, a Lumen situation. Um, so they fight Cerebus. You can't have a hell story without Cerebus, right? Absolutely not, and it's too bad that Harry Potter didn't have these guys along when he ran into the three-headed dog, huh? Harry Potter reference? Anyone? <laughs> they <Crickets>. finally <laughs> reached the city of Dis, beyond which lies Netherhell, Jerry. Man, look at Dis. This is a fiery place. And along the way, Nightcrawler confesses to uh, murdering Margali's son, uh, but he does it cryptically. He, the whole story isn't being told here. Right. And then they start getting dissed by the people of Dis, right? <laughs> it all begins with a giant metal spear plunging from the sky. Fortunately, Peter sees it at the last moment and turns and catches it right in his chest. X-Men, we are under attack! And they're trying to fight the demons, they're trying to get up these fiery walls, they're getting spears thrown at them. This ain't gonna work, so let's try the door. Yeah, there is a giant spiked metal stone something flaming door. And uh Doctor Strange can't get it open, um, but he can't figure out why it isn't open. And Colossus just says, stand aside, I'll take care of it. Attaboy, Petey. And, uh, 
He throws, I mean, this is, we're a long ways from the, uh, the press in the danger room that got the best of him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's, he throws these doors open, the doors of hell. He opens with authority, leaving the demons behind it cowering in fear. He's just divine. He is. Colossus is my dude. And Strange again says, uh, again questions the authenticity of things because those doors, uh, you would have to be divine to actually be able to open them. And he thinks Peter's got a good heart, but there's only one. <laughs> the, the reason why all the, the demons run from him when he opens it is because it's just the big G, and I don't mean Galactus, that's supposed to be able to open <laughs> those doors. <laughs> so now we get part the third, and we're into Nether Hell. And now we are into a place called Malbolge. It doesn't look so bad. It's evil ditches. <laughs> <laughs> the mining industry has even made its way into hell. It's ten rings, uh, at the bottom of which is the bottom of hell, basically. So here's where all of um, the people who live by fraud uh, are, uh, in these different circles, kind of grouped. And Storm's got to be in here somewhere, and Doctor Strange starts rattling off the, the different, um, you know, offenses and and where they would be grouped, mm-hmm. including one of thieves. Wait, thieves! Wolverine comes up with it, right? That's right. And they're all like, "What do you mean?" And he goes off, not half cocked, but completely cocked <laughs> and ready for action. Yeah, it's not that long ago that we learned that she was a, um, you know, a thief and a pickpocket like on the streets of Cairo when she was a, uh, you know, child beggar. So uh, mm-hmm. she must be with the thieves. So they jump into the seventh ring and uh, Nightcrawler sees Storm from behind, actually. But it ain't Storm. It's like the Shining Hotel Room version of Storm. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> Yeah, earlier on this week on Twitter, I was talking about uh, my love for Storm and there being only one exception to that love, and that being Brood Storm. <laughs> but today, rereading this again, I was reminded of my other exception, and that is Pits of Hell Storm, <laughs> because she is hit. Her eyes don't even line up, Steve. No, no, no. It's like, <laughs> nah. <laughs> so uh, Doctor Strange quickly uses the uh, Crimson Rings of Sidorak. And to hold everybody in place, uh, I got to. I crawl her upside down, give him a little shake. And, uh, Wolverine in, I think, a beautifully drawn panel, uh, again, just so crisp and such a pretty looking panel, even though it's Wolverine with a twisted serpent in his hands, comes out holding one, petting it. This is Storm right here. Oh, I, I didn't pick up on that the first time, but he's actually petting it on the head, yeah. this demon. It's our pal Aurora. You want Roro? Here she is. And what I thought was a really violent page flip panel is like Wolverine letting go because the way to transfer Storm's essence back from the serpent uh, to her body is to let it pounce on her and bite her. And the mm-hmm. next panel, like Wolverine's like thrown back and the thing is just like knocking Storm off panel to the floor of the panel, uh, pouncing on her. I thought that was pretty, uh, pretty intense. Yeah. Yeah, and the in the following panel, the grimace on everyone's face as they watch the action happen. Nightcrawler covering his face with both hands and turning away. <laughs> it takes a little while for Storm to shake it off, but um but she does. And down to the bottom they go. They still gotta get to the bottom to get out of here. And it's been a rough road. You even see Colossus holding his arm. They they're pretty beat up. Wolverine's costumes all torn up. I don't remember seeing that before. In the bottom of my map of Dante's Hell was this big room with Satan half trapped in the ice. His wings sticking out. And his wings flapping cause this really cold wind. And that keeps the ice formed that is keeping him trapped. Right? Everything's Mm. ironic. Now, they don't mention that scenario here. But we do have the cold winds and the ice, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And as soon as they hit the hit the ground, these are the people who are the betrayers uh, down here, right with Satan. In fact, like Judas is like hanging out of Satan's mouth, you know, in in, in Dante's Inferno. And mm-hmm. as soon as they touch the ground, Nightcrawler gets zapped with black lightning and put into the ice. And I'm assuming that's because one of the parts of this betrayers at the bottom is called um, uh, Cana. Like, uh, you know, like, um, uh, Cain and Abel. 
And since uh, he uh-huh. killed his stepbrother, that's what he's guilty of. That's his punishment. Okay. <laughs> Not buying it? No, no prize for I, me? No, no. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I have to take your word for it. <laughs> it's just out of nowhere. As soon as they touch the ground, boom. And then, yeah. you know, right after uh, Doctor Strange says that, uh, you know, Kana and, and explains, and then Nightcrawler gets zapped and he's below the ice. And uh, it just seems so odd that all of a sudden that would happen to him there. Well, damn it, Steve. I knew you'd be excited about this issue, but I didn't know you'd bring this level of expertise to it. Thank you. <laughs> Colossus, his arm, he, despite the arm, he uses a uh, friendship smash <laughs> to free him. Yeah. Yeah, everybody else fails. They try lightning. They try magic. They try Wolverine's claws. Nobody can move that ice. But Colossus is feeling feisty today. And Nightcrawler will be free. And now they come upon this horribly designed Satan. <laughs> you don't dig it? No. <laughs> um, again, from the description, Satan, he's supposed to have wings to be blowing the wind. Um, but he is supposed to have three heads. It was supposed to be like like one head with like three faces, you know, and there's a different uh-huh. center in each, in each, like some of the big ones in, in each mouth. Um, here they made him a three-headed beast, but he's really uh, pretty awkward looking. Hmm. But he's yeah, not. He's all right. But he's not really Satan. Oh yeah. Well, there you go. That's your problem, Steve. Right. Doctor Strange. Wait a minute. He's not Satan. <laughs> Doctor Strange pulls a little mumbo jumbo, does the little uh, Spider-Man web shooter fingers, and poof, Satan disappears, and we get Margali again. Beautiful Margali. Oh, she she is beautifully rendered in this panel. Her first full figure. Uh... Appearance. She's got her little bloody sword thing. It, now, you think that's a sword or do you think it's a wand? Because I was thinking it was a wand. Yeah, it's a wand, but it uh, has a handle and it certainly gets pointier at the tip and wider at the bottom. So it's kind of a wand blade kind of a thing. It's all misshapen, almost like it's melted glass or hardened, coagulated blood or something, you know? Ooh, that sounds cool. Yeah. Let's go with the the blood thing. It's not my blood. (laughs) Yeah, even if it is, as long as it's not mine. So Margali's back, right? But she's acting like, what the hell are you guys doing here? And uh, a figure appears in the foreground and says, "I brought the mother." And it's a star sapphire. No, (laughs) oh, it's we don't know what that is on this podcast. It's some girl (laughs) that Kurt calls Jemaine that we've never seen before, or have we? We have. But we don't know it yet. And this doesn't please Margali at all because this Jemaine girl says she's the one who brought them here. Margali ain't having that. Immediately turns her to ice. Zunk. Man, she is uh, freezing and killing people like at the drop of a hat. What's the deal? Hey, that's my kind of fight, Doctor Strange says. Killing people at the drop of a hat? I'm there. (laughs) And they do the whole mystical battle thing that's so cool and they even describe it in the uh, caption boxes as being like epic and legendary and all that stuff. Why draw it when you can just describe it with words and draw it? We only got like two pages left. We got and we're (laughs) it took us a long time (laughs) to get this far. We gotta wrap this up. (laughs) Yeah. Can't waste panels. That's right. So uh, they would have fought to a standstill, but finally Kurt uh, gives in and relents, and he says, uh, you know, I uh, I yield to whatever you, you want. Mm-hmm. And here she says, uh, my quarrel was really with you, wasn't with all of them. So uh, from this I, I ascertain, and it took me several times reading this as a kid to really wrap my head around it, but the Margali, Margali really sent Kurt the... Uh, crystal that exploded in his face and brought him to fake hell. But mm-hmm. it was Jemaine who appeared as fake Margali with the tentacles and dragged all of the X-Men into fake hell with him. Okay. So it should have... I was not able to put that together. It should have been just Kurt waking up there mm-hmm. in front of the gates and been sent to Dante's Inferno. Um, but it was Jemaine who dressed up as Margali just for that one scene there to, to pull the rest of the gang in. So all of the other Margalis have been Margali. Good looking out, Jemaine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, she grabs her scepter wand thing 
and uh, puts it to use. Uh, there's a judgment to be made. She's killed, uh, or Kurt's killed her son. And still no explanation. Well, wait a minute. Doctor Strange is a pretty reasonable guy, right? And he doesn't have any investment emotionally into anything that's going on. So he kind of plays the arbitrator guy here. And he says, hey, listen, you know, uh, he challenges her. Are you interested in, in just swift justice or do you want to get to the truth? And she notices the eye of Agamotto. And Jerry, she rips it from Doctor Strange's chest and and activates it all without you know, his, um, any of his involvement. That's powerful. Steve, what a woman. Yeah, I mean, she is the shit. I'm telling you. (laughs) (laughs) The truth is finally revealed. We see a young Nightcrawler running around with another young lad, Stefan. I like him already. Who's the son? (laughs) (laughs) This one's with an F, Steve. I don't like him. So uh they become blood brothers through a whole knife ceremony and everything. And during the ceremony, Kurt is forced to promise that because of Stefan's dark side of his soul, um if he were to ever turn evil, Kurt is sworn to finish him. Now the retcon is that um Stefan's father is Azazel and mother is Margali. So he really would have a potentially demon dark side of his soul that he would be fearing okay i don't remember that from the the austin stuff that was in the austin run, uh, right? i don't know there's been so many later okay. returns probably uh, x-men unlimited somewhere or something who knows <laughs> right but sure enough uh stefan we next see him uh, much older with a beard and he's got the helter skelter in the eye going oh yeah and he has killed someone uh, out of anger and nightcrawler has to Put him down. And he breaks his neck in a panel that is so shadowed in, I can't tell what, how he's wrapped around him or what's going on in that panel. But there's two people there, Jerry. Yeah, it kind of looks like he's, um, oh, he's, you know, sitting on his shoulders from behind. Or inside his cloak, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's really hard to tell. But he's wrapped around but, his yeah. neck and the neck is cracked. And Stefan is dead, and Nightcrawler's doing the con scream, you know, looking to the heavens. <laughs> and, uh, you know, why did he have to be forced to, to make this vow and, and to, uh, you know, keep his word? But he did. And it's from that, Jerry, that they say in Giant Size X-Men, he's then running from the townspeople. He never has a sure. chance to go back and, and tell Margali. And, and he wasn't running from those townspeople because he looks different and looks like a demon. They, they knew him. He was Kurt. He, he was around the circus and he was with the gypsies. It was yeah. because of the murder. Interesting. Right. Yeah. And also pinned to the murder of their children, which I don't remember that being explained. Well, Stefan. Stefan, I think, was the murderer. Oh, right. So he, okay. Yes. Doggone it. Because after you kill the first one, it's so easy to kill again. Uh, right. <laughs> okay. Oh. So now we have Nightcrawler's origin as much as we have to this point, basically, uh, in, in his publishing history. With one little twist left at the end. <laughs> it's a doozy. But Margolai forgives, um, Kurt as much as she can. Um, and sends them all back to Professor X and Kitty. She kisses Kurt on the forehead and calls him her son. Yep. I think, I think all is repaired at this point. And then, uh, we have Jermaine there. And, uh, you know, the rest of the group is kind of like, you really, uh, put our lives at risk, but as if they wouldn't have wanted to go anyway to, to rescue right. him, you know? given the opportunity and he kind of gives her uh, Kurt kind of grabs her and gives her a little arm shake. And then she dematerialize. She does like a dematerialization and a rematerialization as the person that we have seen her as all of these years. Amanda Sefton, your girlfriend. What? And everyone is astonished. She just took her head off and put her boobs away and she's completely different. Steve. 
And she got the 80s hair. She did the Farrah, you know. <laughs> That's right. 70s. She's got the Farrah going. That's right. And Kurt's psyched. He's like, oh, boy, this is too fantastic to be true. My childhood friend, my half-sister, my stepsister, my girlfriend, my lover. Woo! Meanwhile, Peter in the background has this look on his face. <laughs> he's like, what the fuck? Because, I mean, he's known Amanda as long as Kurt has. They went on a double date way back in issue 99 with Amanda's friend. I don't know if you'd remember that, but... This is crazy. Uh, it's That was... I mean, they've known Amanda for a long time now, and Kurt has not put this together. So his mother took him to hell. His girlfriend turns out to be his stepsister, posing for years, um, lying to him. But he forgives everyone. He's cool with the relationship, too. It's... I'm thinking, what's with these Europeans? Like, it's like the it's like Wanda and Petro couldn't be creepy enough, <laughs> and now now we've got these two. And with the retcon, uh, Amanda Sefton, uh, Jermaine's father is also Azazel, and her mother is Margali. So he's really hmm. a half sister. If if Kurt's father is really Azazel, as per the so, it's, oh, it's, let's not think about it too oh, much. Oh man, Steve. it's ugly. It's crazy. It is poor Kurt. You know, stop messing with them. Let the man be. <laughs> but to bring the whole circle closed, what I really like is that it's Wolverine who looks over and notices Kitty standing there feeling like she's the outsider. He tunes in and says just the right thing at the right time. Steve, that's because he's the leader. He's perceptive. And he even points out that everybody else isn't as perceptive as he. <laughs> there we go. That's my Wolverine. But man, how much has this guy grown in the last 40 issues, right? Totally. It's, it's incredible. I dig it. What I think, you know, the whole thing of Kitty at the beginning being the outsider and then being brought in, I think that that is meta for, <laughs> pun intended, metaphor. <laughs> uh, that this whole issue, I think, was about Kurt accepting life and his place in society and stuff uh, before yeah. this time he was always using the image inducer and he was always looking mm -hmm. like errol flynn right he found a girlfriend mm -hmm. who liked him now that explains why she liked him she never cared that he was blue because she grew up with him you know sure. um he's yeah. talking less german you know they, they mm -hmm. had that great opportunity at the beginning to have him do a mean god or something like that um this is him becoming what he is from this point on, which is basically until until he gets really into the heavy Christianity guilt stuff, um, he's the most well-adjusted and grounded of all the X-Men for, oh, sure. for the next decade or two. Uh, you know, and he's solid enough that he goes off to do Excalibur and everything years later. Um, but he becomes a rock after this, and, and this was his trial. Uh, this mm -hmm. was about um, not just normalizing kitty in that scene but i think about normalizing um kurt and having him be comfortable in his own skin and ironically he did almost none of the work in the issue <laughs> he's not even on the cover you know it's not <laughs> damn i didn't notice but that's true isn't it, it is. <laughs> he's in the shadows steve that's his power come on he's in the corner box in the little group shot but yeah hey he's on that counts <laughs> But that's how great of an issue of X-Men is that? I mean, again, it's that nice, linear, clear storytelling. There were no subplots going on in the background that weren't resolved. It was a point A to point B video game-ish, plug the characters in and make them go through the paces kind of adventure. Mm -hmm. Nice, clear storytelling uh, and just rendered so beautifully. I just love Bob McCloud. Perfect example of how to do an annual issue. Indeed. If you're going to bother to do one, this is what I dig, man. Don't don't turn it into a crossover thing. Just make it a nice, significant one-and-done issue where something important happens, something that's worth the extra cost, worth the extra time investment in reading it, and, and something beautiful to look at. And the Uncanny X-Men annuals were just that for the first seven, maybe eight of them at least, um, until it got into the, uh, oh, all the you missed high evolutionary nine stuff. Yeah, all that. Don't forget nine and ten. But uh, those those are the Adams ones, and they're my favorites. Yeah, crossovers though. <laughs> oh yeah, nine is a crossover. <laughs> Shut up, Jerry. 
Yeah, but, I mean, but the, damn it, if it's not the best one of all time. Yeah, the Dracula one, the Fantastic Four one, the Archon one, this one. The, the, they had great annuals. That's right. That's right. So um, thank you for insisting that we talk about this because I really enjoyed this issue. Thanks for remembering me, pal. I really wanted to I'm share sorry that I'm sorry we couldn't fit it into the, the continuity. Um, we're uh, We're about ten issues past this now. But um I'm glad just everybody remember that Jean Grey has just died at this point. I'm just glad you saved it for me then. Well, we are going to bring it back to talk about uh annual number 5 at some point too. We'll try to fit that one in chronologically this time. So, it'll be soon. Cool. I love me some FF. Awesome. Um do we want to talk about the burn thing at this point? Oh, I completely forgot about that. Jerry, when Margulai appears there at the end in that panel that we said she looks so beautifully rendered there, um, and you see her full-figured with the little bloody scepter or whatever there, um, that's off an awful lot like that sketch you showed me. Yeah, so it turns out that uh, recently, because I'm an art nut, um, and I'm a John Byrne nut, and I don't have the money to buy any John Byrne art, um, I do like to browse the John Burton auctions. And there was a page from issue 113 of the Uncanny X-Men. Well, I guess it might have just been X-Men at that point. Um, it was page 26. It was a, a fight scene with Magneto in the lava base. And uh, it was a beautiful page. It had every member of the X-Men on it. Everything you'd want in a John Byrne, Terry Austin page. It was beautiful. And it sold for about $14,000. So I wasn't buying that, of course. Uh, but something made it extra special. And on the back, there were sketches that were clearly John Byrne's work. Pencil sketches of both Margali and Jemaine. Incredible. In the exact same outfits, I mean, down to the uh, Jemaine's earrings. To uh, I, He gave Margali a more of a uh, slit skirt. Uh, than she ended up with in the annual. Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, what a beautiful design, really. Right down to the bloody scepter he's got there. You know, look at the tip of yeah. that thing. Looks like there's mm-hmm. a drip dripping right off of it. They are beautiful. So I, I reached out to Byrne through his forum and asked him about it. And, um, of course, he, he other people have, have broached the subject in the past, and he, he blew them off. Completely blew them off. And he did the same thing to me. Uh, but fortunately, somebody f- had the, the balls to kind of challenge him on it. Because he just really didn't seem to want to talk about it at all. And he just completely disavowed himself of having any connection to any characters or even knowing who they were. But somebody said, hey, here's this sketch. Here are these characters in an issue of the X-Men that was two years after you did these sketches. What's the deal? And his explanation basically was, hey, it's so long ago, who knows? I mean, I drew those. Maybe Chris asked me if he could use them. I don't remember. I wonder if they might have been um, early designs for, like, Mystique even, because it, the, of the similar Ooh. dress, you know what I mean? That he was sure. going for different looks. Mystique would be appearing uh, right around the same time. And right. Mystique would drop Margali's name and freak Kurt out, which was a really cool moment too um yeah and uh, and margali did end up getting her showdown uh although she ended up kind of helping dr strange although they didn't really trust each other in issues uh 57 through 59 of dr strange uh at that time uh oh, she cool. helped him out against fog <laughs> good old fog but that came after this so uh, it was like margali's next uh pop-up i was gonna ask you about that where where we would see her again yeah, that's I would I would like to see her again, Steve. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> from from my youth until like um eighty five when I um uh, stopped reading comics for five or six years there, um uh, that here and then Doctor Strange were the only two places that she had popped up. Hmm. And she is rendered exceptionally well in this issue, but for those who haven't seen the sketch, seek out the GX Pod Twitter account. I tweeted it there. Um John Byrne Draws also posted it, and I posted it on our Tumblr. For those of you that don't know about our Tumblr page, it's kind of still in the making, but it's tumblr.greatexpectations.com, and it's very important that you put the hyphen in 
expectations because you'll get something very different if you leave it out. <laughs> That's all I'll say. True that. Gotta have the hyphen. It's the sp- Gotta have Spider-Man, it. Batman. Gotta remember which where to put the hyphen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, thanks for having me back. This was great. Everything I hoped it would be. Steve, tell people where they can find you. On Marvel Noise and on Indie Comic Book Noise. And back here sometime soon, apparently. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And you can find me on the previously mentioned Marvel Noise episodes. And look for me again next month. Guardians of the Galaxy! Woo! Wait, don't go! I just wanted to make a quick announcement that changes afoot for the Great Expectations podcast. The Earth 2 Network is growing. We've added another podcast to the network. Uh, it is called The Womb Mates. It's a great show, hosted by friends of ours, and we hope you'll give it a try. Uh, however, because the network is growing, we will also be moving the entire network to a new location on the internet instead of its usual home at the earth2network.podbean.com. We will be moving to earth2.podbean.com, joining up with our mothership, the Earth 2 Podcast. Because of this change and the growth of the network, we thought it might be best to offer our listeners another option for those who are really just X-Men fans and want to check out our podcast regularly and subscribe to it. So we will be adding our own feed in the near future. We haven't settled on a provider yet, uh, so I don't have an address to give you just yet. But if you look for us, probably our next episode will be at our new home, earth2.podbean.com. And we're glad to have you as listeners, and we hope you'll stick around. And uh, if you watch our Tumblr page and our Twitter, uh, announcements will be made. Thank you. All right, everybody. Goodbye.
Hello. Hello? Can you hear me? Uh Oh, why am I not hearing you, Jerry? (laughs) Oh, no. Let me call you back. Cry for the moon.